Welcome to the St. James Sermon Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Hi, I'm Wayne Darbon. I'm pastor here at St. James, and I want to invite you to join us now as we dive into God's Word in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be focusing today on verses 10 through 13 and verse 19. Hear God's Word. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me, please? Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its timeliness. And God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that we would experience the fullness of your presence in our lives, especially in these times. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there have been many who have said that Tom Brady is the GOAT, the G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time, the best quarterback and football player who has ever played the game. Now, whether you or I believe that, it was after his third Super Bowl win that he was interviewed by 60 Minutes. And in that interview, he said, and I quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. Me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. See, already early in his career, he had experienced success in every way our world measures it. And yet he still had a longing for contentment. After he won his fourth Super Bowl, he famously asked a provocative question as the cameras were rolling, does anybody know what my favorite Super Bowl ring is? And then after allowing just a moment of contemplation, he answered his own question by saying, it's the next one. Now, we might hear that and say, well, he's just speaking about his ambition, which is the secret of his success. But when you unpack his words, you realize that he has a longing for contentment like every one of us do. Today, I want to talk about contentment because it's how the Apostle Paul chooses to close his epic letter to the church in Philippi. And in thinking about that, what better time, what better season, what better year to address this topic of having genuine, galvanized, dynamic contentment than right now? And what we discover in God's Word here through the Apostle Paul is that you and I were made for contentment. That there is a, a surprising journey toward 
contentment, a counterintuitive journey toward contentment. And then Paul gives us the secret of having dynamic, galvanized contentment in our lives. So let's look first. You and I were made for contentment. In verse 11, Paul says that I have learned to have contentment in all circumstances. Why is it that he learned to have contentment? Because he desired it. That Paul himself, like Tom Brady and every one of us, you and me, desired contentment in his life. C.S. Lewis talks about this. C.S. Lewis says that every desire we have in our lives is actually put there by God and it points to a deeper desire and longing that only God can satisfy. So you and I desire commitment because God gave us the desire for it. We were made for it because we were made in the image of God. Now, have you ever thought about that? If every person on the planet has a desire and longing for contentment, is God himself content? And I love the story in Exodus where, where God speaks to Moses. He calls Moses and he gives him the greatest challenge of his life. And Moses asked God the burning question, God, if you are going to send me on this mission, then who in the world do I say sent me? And God could have answered anything. He could have given any description of himself. He could have given himself any name that he wanted. But what he said is, tell them Yahweh sent you. Yahweh means I am. I am that I am. I am who I am. I am who I have always been. I am who I will always be. I am the great I am. You see, God is fully content in who he is. And not only that, God made us in his image. God made us to be content. Remember the creation stories in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. God created the universe. God created the world. God created the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve. And can you imagine that moment as God created Adam and Eve and said, said, now I've created you to have fullness of life, that you have an unhindered relationship with me. You have an unhindered relationship of love with each other. And I want you to enjoy this unhindered relationship with the beauty of what I have created, the beauty of all that you see. I want you to experience life and meaning and purpose by taking care of what I've entrusted to you. I want you to enjoy the pleasure and the delight of what I've created, to, to eat of the fruit of every tree that you see for miles. I want you to knock yourself out, enjoying all that I've created with the one stipulation that you do not eat of this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what a setup for contentment. That, that he created Adam and Eve for lives to be fully content. This relationship with him, this relationship with each other, this relationship with create, creation. What an incredible gift of this life of contentment. But then it's uh, then when Satan shows up. And Satan, rather than pointing to all that God had given them in launching lives to be fully content. He instead shows up to sow seeds of discontentment. 
that are rooted in distrust of God. Do you remember what he said? He said, oh, you might have all of that, but what about this tree here? Why can't you eat of this tree? Let me tell you, God doesn't want you to eat of this tree because you will become like him. See, he doesn't want you to really be as content as you could be. He doesn't want you to experience the fullness of life like you could have if you eat of this tree. He doesn't want you to be as powerful and content as he is. You see what Satan does? He sows distrust of God as if God really doesn't want what is best, if God doesn't, really doesn't love us that God doesn't really want us to live lives of contentment, of unhindered relationship with him, each other, and creation. And what Satan says is, no, what good is it having all of that if you can't have this? What you really want is what is more. You want what is better. What you, want, you want what you don't yet have. And ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit of that tree, Every human being has longed for genuine con contentment. Contentment that only comes in an unhindered relationship with God, with each other, and with our creation. And I think there's been no year like this year that we have seen all of that magnified. The struggle in our relationship with God, the brokenness in our relationships with each other, whether it's in our own family, in our own community, in our own nation, and the brokenness of relationships around the world, and the brokenness of our relationship in creation where a virus and pandemic has struck the entire world in a way that God never intended. You see, here's the point. You and I were made for contentment. But sin, the not trusting God and his love for us and his desire for contentment and deciding instead to go our own way is what leads to discontent. You see, the, the um, loss of contentment, the, the, the way that we struggle to find contentment is there because of the pervasiveness of sin. The elusiveness of contentment is purely due to the pervasiveness of sin. And ever since, that has led us to a pursuit of contentment by finding things out there. That if only I have more, if only I have something that is better, then I will finally be content. It is the lie of Satan from the pit of hell that began all the way back in Adam and Eve. But notice what Paul says. Paul says that he has found contentment not related to his circumstances. Paul says in verse 12, I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That Paul has discovered a journey toward contentment that is not the intuitive journey that all of us pursue. That it is not buying the lie of Satan that if I only have a little bit more, if I only have 
a better job, if I only had better income, if I only had a better family, a better marital status, if I only had a better house, a better car, better relationships, better friendships, a better circumstances. But Paul says that his contentment is not related to his circumstances. Notice he says that I have learned to be content in both plenty and in want. I've learned to be content when I have more than enough, and I've learned to be content when I don't have enough. Because you see, both become challenges for us in contentment. We might be tempted to think that we are only discontent when we don't have enough, but in my experience, I see greater contentment among those who are poor and under-resourced than those who have more than what they need. In fact, I was struck by a recent study that Boston College did, and the study was of people who have amassed more than $25 million in wealth. And what they discovered in their study was that those in this study by and far throughout the entire study, were far more discontent than those who have much less in terms of resources. They had much more anxiety about their lives, about their jobs, about their income, about their family, and about their relationships than people who have much less. You see, we buy the lie that if we have more, if we have something better, if we have something out there and we bring it in here, then we will finally be content. But Paul says that he has discovered that there is contentment, genuine contentment that we can have in our lives that is not based on what is out there. That that the journey of true contentment isn't bringing something out there in here, but it is experiencing the presence of God in our lives that changes how we experience the circumstances around us. Now, I know some of us might be saying, well, maybe Paul really didn't live that difficult of a life. Maybe he didn't really have that many challenges where he could say that. But the reality is he's writing these words from a first century Roman prison. And first century Roman prisons were built and run to foster excruciating discontentment among the prisoners. Paul knew what it was to experience hardship. And if that wasn't enough, Paul describes other hardships that he had experienced in his life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 24, he says, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was pelted, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews. I've been in danger from Gentiles, in danger of the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And Paul goes on and on and saying, look, I have experienced the hardships of life, and yet none of those circumstances changes my contentment. My contentment is not based on those circumstances. You see, the contentment Paul is talking about is not a contentment that minimizes or downplays or ignores or even pretends that the hardships and the challenges we experience don't exist. 
That's the false contentment of Stoicism. It was alive and rampant in Paul's day, and it's alive and rampant today, that if I just kind of muster up the courage, if I just muster the strength within myself, if I'm just stoic and pretend like it doesn't really affect me, then somehow I can make it through and find contentment. But Paul says, no, contentment will never be found out there or even within ourselves. Contentment is only found in God. Contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ who came and died and rose in order to restore our relationship with God, in order to restore our relationship with other people and to restore our relationship with creation. Jesus came that we can have the fullness of life and contentment now, that we can live lives of dynamic contentment. That contentment is not found in our circumstances. Contentment is found in Christ alone. Paul says in Hebrews chapter 11, or chapter 13, he says in verse 5, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You see, that is the secret of contentment. It is the presence of God in our lives. It is experiencing His presence in a way that our satisfaction is found in Him. That is in Christ alone that we have our identity. It's in Christ alone that we know that we are loved. It is in Christ alone that we have value and meaning and purpose. It is in Christ alone that our relationship with God, others, and the world around us can be restored. It is in Christ alone that we have contentment. One person said that the cross of Christ is the visine that clears our eyes, allowing us to see the world around us with great contentment. That's what Paul is talking about when he shares the secret of contentment. He said, I can do all things through him who gives me strength in verse 13. Now, this is a powerful verse. This is a verse that we often, like other verses in Philippians, see on t-shirts and on bumper stickers and in posters. This is a powerful verse, but it is also one of the most misunderstood and misused verses. Many people read this verse of saying, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and say, well, with Christ, I am invincible. That by adding Jesus to my life, my strength is invincible. And one of the maybe most graphic ways that I've seen this verse used is when Evander Holyfield had this verse plastered on his robe when he went into the boxing ring with Mike Tyson. That I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That I can win this battle with Mike Tyson in the boxing ring. That I am so strong that with Christ he puts me over the edge. But that's not the context of what Paul is saying here, is it? Paul is saying, no, I don't have the strength that I don't have the contentment, that without Christ, I am dead in the water, that my contentment is only in Christ, that we don't add Jesus to the shelf of all that we have and look for our contentment in, but that when Jesus comes into our lives, he clears the shelf out, that he alone is the source of our contentment, that I can do all things through Christ. And Christ alone, who gives me strength. Where do you look for contentment in your life? Is it what other people might deliver to you? 
Is it the delivering of a new job that you might have? The delivering of a new vaccine that heals us from viruses and pandemics? Is it delivering of new money or our paycheck that we might get? Is it delivering of that next Amazon package that, boy, when I buy this next package, then that will make me happy? You see, our contentment can only be in Christ alone because God has made us to be content. And so in verse 19, Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's the confidence that Paul has. That my God will meet all your needs. Our contentment is in him. So as we bring this to a close, what is that dynamic, spirit-filled, galvanized contentment look like? Well, it looks like at least three things. First, I think godly contentment is expressed in gratitude. In fact, this week we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving. And discontentment leads to grumbling. Contentment leads to gratitude. And as we come to our Thanksgiving tables this year, it will probably look very different. And I want to ask, as you come to that table, will you be looking for what isn't there? Or will you be looking for what is there? That lives lived in genuine contentment are expressed in gratitude. You see, contentment doesn't mean we pretend that those things aren't there. That we don't face hardships and challenges and troubles. No, genuine contentment means that we name those things. It's just the opposite. We acknowledge those things, but we trust them to God. We rest in God so that we can live lives of gratitude. So as we come to our Thanksgiving tables this year, who is God calling you to express gratitude? And how are you expressing gratitude to God for His place in your life? Secondly, I think contentment, godly contentment, is lived out in service. You see, people who are discontent tend to expect others to serve them. We, we have this idea that we deserve. It is the opposite of serving, that we deserve what we do not yet have and want in order to be content. But people who are genuinely content find themselves freed up to be able to serve others to love on others, to express God's love to others. Who might God be calling you to serve out of the contentment you have in your heart through Jesus Christ? And lastly, and related to that, genuine contentment leads to generosity. That people who live lives discontent tend to hold on, tend to hoard, tend to, tend to uh, fear what might come next. But those who are content, like the Apostle Paul, live their lives generously, eager to share what they have in order to bless others. You know, as we move toward Thanksgiving, and as we complete this series in Philippians, I'm reminded of Paul's words in the very beginning. I thank my God for all of you. For he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And I find myself so grateful for you, St. James. 
I'm grateful that we are sharing this time and ministry together. And just like the church in Philippi, I thank my God because I know that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the contentment that we find in Jesus. Jesus, you who said, because I live, you shall live also. Jesus, who said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And so, Lord, this week of all weeks, we ask that your spirit would so fill us, that we would be so aware of your presence, that we would find our contentment in you, that we would live lives of gratitude, of service, of generosity. Lord, that our contentment would be contagious and that you would receive all the glory. God, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. St. James is a Presbyterian church located in Littleton, Colorado. Find us on the web at www.sjprez.org or email us at contact at sjprez.org.